the Sunday Sermons Podcast. We're remembering uh, together in this season, this, se- this uh, series called Game Changers, that Jesus has so much more in mind than we usually assume. Uh, he, he wants to change everything. He doesn't just want to tweak a couple of things. He doesn't want us to work him in somehow. He literally changes everything. And as his followers, we have to be game changers as well. I'm going to jump right into uh, what the Three Rivers Collaborative says about what we're talking about today. And then we're just going to unpack it through God's word. Transformative churches facilitate environments that empower laity. In case you grew up in a church that doesn't use that term very much, laity in a lot of churches is a word that they use for all the people who just attend church, as opposed to the clergy who kind of run the church, which is not a biblical model. I'm not saying it's a wrong model. I'm saying it's not a biblical one. What we see in the scripture, and we'll be exploring this today, is we're all playing vital parts. There, there are people who are leaders and are gifted to be leaders, but there's no first and second class citizens. There's no elite and not elite. Does this make sense? There's no, there's no tier system in the kingdom of God. There's just different roles. Transformative churches facilitate environments that empower laity while developing the character, competence, and Christ-likeness of multiple leaders across the church, fostering a culture of ownership, innovation, and collaboration. We're going to be talking about leadership, and uh, words mean different things to different people. I want to make sure you know what I mean by this this morning. We've got four arrows you'll see up here, and uh, hopefully this will make sense. Sometimes it's important. Sometimes it's the right thing to do to put on the brakes and hold on. And sometimes we've got to say, no, we, we're not moving any further. Sometimes those in leadership need to do that. But that's not really the definition of leadership. Not moving is not really leadership. Do you follow me? It's not a wrong thing to hit the brakes sometimes, but that's not really leadership. The arrow that points forward, let's see, I think to you guys it's that way, okay? Going forward, all right? That the arrow that points forward is symbolizing that true leadership is taking someone somewhere. It's not a position. It's not somewhere where you are. It's not a, a station or a, or a job or a rank. It is, it is a role you play. You're taking someone somewhere. Does this make sense so far? The up arrow represents another misconception. We have all these metaphors that follow that line of thinking. We talk about climbing a ladder of success or trying to scramble to the top of the pile or play king of the mountain. Ever heard any of these kind of things? Okay. That's not leadership in the Bible. Oh, you do see that kind of leadership in the Bible. Let's see. King Saul, King Herod. King David in his dark moments. Are you with me? They're not the heroes. It's in there. It's everywhere you look. You see leaders who manipulate and hurt and bully and take their authority way too seriously. But that's not Jesus' ideal. Jesus' ideal is closer to the arrow pointing down. We humble ourselves. We serve others. One of the ways, where, one of the places in the Bible where that's just incredibly clear, you can't miss it, is Matthew 20, where the mother of James and John come to Jesus, and she knows that they're on their way to Jerusalem. They know that something about, something huge is about to happen. They don't know what it is yet, 
you guys know, next week we'll be celebrating Palm Sunday, and all, uh, the next week is Easter. We, we know how this works. We know the story. They just knew something big was going to happen, and she wanted to get in her little whatever. She wanted to make sure she had her plan in place. So she comes to Jesus, and she says, can you make sure when you come into your kingdom that my two boys here get to sit on your right and left? I want to make sure that when you have a position of authority, that they also have position of authority. Under you, mind you, because obviously you want to be the king and, and have all this authority. But can you give them some too? And Jesus says, that is not how it works. That's the John Pryor paraphrase version. But it, basically, that's what he says. And, and, and then he calls everybody together. And he makes a point of it. He says, hey, 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 this is a good time to make sure everybody's clear on this. Matthew 20, verse 25, Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There are lots of places in the Bible that talk about positions of authority, positions of leadership, but they can only be understood through the lens of Jesus and his words, Jesus and his example, if we're going to really understand them. There's no room for bullying. There's no room for uh, th that that model that's so broken that we see everywhere. Even Romans 13 and Ephesians 5, some of the places where we kind of fight over just how much authority do we need to submit to and who's supposed to be in authority over whom. If you look really closely, the key is always in there that we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Whatever role we have to play, whoever's taking leadership at any given time, that fits into a larger picture of we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Even verses like Hebrews 13, 17, which says, Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority. Be nice to be able to just stop there. But that's not how it works. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. You don't have to squint very hard to see the teamwork in this, right? There's one big body. There's no classes. There's no anything like that. In fact, those who study leadership in general, outside of the church, just in general, the concept of what makes a leader effective have started to discover this. Simon Sinek is an is a expert in leadership. And he says this, if you get the environment right, every single one of us has the capacity to do remarkable things. And the environment that he's speaking of is an environment where we empower everybody. He says the great leaders are the ones who say, this is how our whole team does stuff. 
Jim Collins, who wrote the, the timeless classic, Good to Great. Almost anybody who studies leadership in any capacity has to study that book. He found out there were five levels of leadership, and they're not a hierarchy of who's in the most power and who gets to boss other people around. It's just this is how it works in an effective team. So if you can, just listen. I, I think this will make sense. He says the, the, if the, it's not a lower level, but the entry level is highly capable people. Everybody in, the, everybody in the whole process has gifts, has abilities, and the whole company recognizes that. If they, if they go up to the next level, all that means is they understand that they're part of a team. They start working as a team. It stops being about them and trying to get a reputation or get people to respect them as an individual. It, they start playing for the whole team. The next level up is what he calls a competent manager. And those are the people who can actually kind of tweak things as they go and help the whole team do even better. The next level up is what he calls an effective leader, a level four leader. And that's simply somebody who can cast a vision and say, guys, listen, the whole team, listen, imagine if we all did this. Can you just picture a world where that was real? And everybody goes, yeah, let's do that. But it's all about the team and the level five leaders, the people that absolutely change everything. He, he talks about a lot. There's this weird dichotomy that they have. There's two things that seem to cancel each other out. One is they have a fierce will, a fierce non-willingness to compromise. They are going to help the team win. But at the same time, there's a, a level of humility that nobody else can understand. It's not about them. They don't care if everybody knows their name. They care if everybody knows their company's name or their, their military squad's number. Do you understand what I'm saying? Like the leader gets it. I'm just taking the whole team this way. And when all of those roles are being played at the same time, that is what is effective. It's the same thing Jesus is talking about. The same kind of way. People play different roles. We're gifted in different ways. Some people are always going to be better vision casters, but the whole team has to work together to get anything done. And this is how God's done it from the very beginning. In ways we'll never understand, God himself is a team. Are you with me on this? The Trinity, please don't pretend that you totally understand it. No, none of us do, but there's three in one, even in God himself. Okay, And then he creates more people to work with him. A bigger team. Genesis 1. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the air. He puts them in authority. Over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Again, you don't have to squint very hard to see there's different roles being played, different gifts being given, different ideas that several people on the team are bringing to the table, and yet it's one vision, one team, and there's real authority that he's passing on to these people from day one. Can you see it? You can't? Maybe, maybe a thumbs up, a head nod, something. Can you, can you see this? There we go. Yeah, all right. You can give me a thumbs up emoji or a smiley out there, wherever you guys are. Exodus 18. You see, Moses has just, um, 
helped the people come out of Israel. It's God doing all the heavy lifting, but Moses is the leader at this point. And then his father-in-law rejoins the team, and he starts telling him how it is. And he's pretty impressed by the story so far. But then in, in chapter 18, then he watches Moses spend an entire day just kind of helping people work out their problems. And he says, what in the world are you doing? Why are you wasting your time like this? And Moses tries to defend himself. He goes, look, I'm the leader. I, 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 they need me to do this. Here's what he says. Moses' father-in-law replied, what you are doing is not good. You and these people who come to you will only wear yourselves out. The work is too heavy for you. You cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me, and I will give you some advice, and may God be with you. Here's the basic advice that he gives him. We're going to actually use this advice from Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, to kind of, kind of have an outline so we can think, think this through and remember it. Okay? He says basically two things. Do what God equips you to do and empower others to do their job. That's what needs to happen. That's how a team's going to win. Do what God equips you to do and empower others to do their job. Let's say that first one out loud together. Do what God equips you to do. I need you to look at somebody next to you, okay? If you don't know this person, really quick, introduce yourself. Just quietly whisper it. If you know them, chances are you know them. I need you to look them in the eye and say this with me. I'm going to look out at the camera. Do what God equips you to do. He's, every single one of us has been equipped by God to do something. We need to do it. God puts purpose and unity in every single thing that he creates. And every single thing, every single person in his family, every single person who's not in his family yet, but he's hoping and longing they will be, every single one of us has a role to play, a vital role to play. And one of the things that you'll see in, in, in the world as you go, if you, you probably already know this, but just in case you haven't, Notice, I'll point it out. The devil counterfeits everything that God loves the most. That's why things like love and marriage and friendship and leadership, the concept of leadership, what it means to be a leader, are constantly being counterfeited. Back in World War II, I don't know if you know this or not, but during World War II, one of the weapons of war that they used was all the countries were counterfeiting each other's money and flooding the market. America did it to Germany and some of the other countries, and they did it back. And the reason was because then start, people start distrusting the money. Once there's counterfeits out there, you're never sure if you've got the real thing. And the real thing is worth less because there's way more money whether it's real or not. Are you following me on that? And they knew they could cause all kinds of chaos just by introducing some counterfeits in the mix. So the devil does this all the time. And he definitely does it in the concept of leadership. Which is why even in churches so many times you see people that are just scrambling to the top of the success ladder, which doesn't actually exist. And you're seeing people trying to get a position of authority. They're fighting to be a leader, whatever that means. Leadership is something you do. But all those counterfeits are there just to distract us. They come from the enemy ultimately. Does this make sense? But even Moses, 
The next thing, he does what God equips him to do. He goes up on the mountain. He listens. He takes notes. He carries the, the rock tablets down that God himself wrote. He does all the things that God has called him to do. But then in chapter 31, when they're ready to build the tabernacle, there's this really awesome part where God says to Moses, See, I have chosen Bezalel. You haven't heard about this guy Bezalel yet, but Bezalel is an incredible artist. And up to this point, right at the very beginning of the whole story, Genesis 1-1, you see God's spirit hovering over the chaos of, that's there before the first day. You see God's spirit show up, but the first time you ever see anybody say, that anywhere in the Bible it says that God's spirit empowered someone to do something, it's not until Joseph is empowered to interpret dreams, okay, toward the end of Genesis. The next time you see it is this artist God says, see, I've chosen Bezalel. I have filled him with the spirit of God and with wisdom and with understanding and with knowledge and with all kinds of skills. And I've also appointed an assistant for him whose name is Ohaleb to help him. And also I have given ability to all the skilled workers in Israel, male and female, everybody. And they, he says to Moses, they are to make the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, all this stuff I've been describing, they're going to make it the way I described it to you. I've empowered them to actually make it happen. And that's exactly how it got built. It wasn't Moses sitting there carving stuff and covering it in gold. It was this guy Bezalel and his assistant Oholiab in the entire nation, sewing and carving and drawing and building and all that cool, cool stuff that had to happen. You see this in the New Testament as well. In Romans 12, Paul writes this. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment, in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. Let's keep going. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. The church in Corinthians had a huge problem. They were fighting over which leader they liked best. And even though one of them was Paul himself, he shuts that thing down just as quick as possible. Here's some of the stuff he said to them. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. God's field. Then he instantly turns a corner and goes to a new metaphor. You're God's field, God's building. And now he goes back and starts using the tabernacle that we just mentioned as another metaphor. And he says this, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? Notice this is plural here. You yourselves are God's temple. And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. 
For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. If you're a Bible student, you know there's also some places that say that even our individual bodies are the temple of God when the Holy Spirit dwells inside of it. That's not a, that's a also this, not a, not a um, contradiction in the Bible. It's both. Each one of us are a, ta- a tabernacle. Together, we are the tabernacle in the new covenant. Proportionately, one of the most, uh, I think the most successful studio there's ever been is Pixar. Anybody else besides me like Pixar movies? Love Pixar. Um, most of them. But almost all of their movies have been hits. Almost all of them have have been critically acclaimed and people love them and they, they get so much out of them, they're layers deep. You know why? Their whole system is built on collaboration. Even the way they build their building, the way they design their offices, they interact on a daily basis. And the people who are directing the films and writing the films, they're incredible writers, incredible artists themselves. And yet they daily bounce these ideas off of all the other people working with them at every department constantly because they know some of those artists are better than they are. Some of those writers are better than they are. And collectively, they can make some serious magic that nobody could ever make on their own. Again, truth is truth, y'all. This idea is everywhere because it's just true. And it needs to absolutely be in the church. Here's the second thing. I need you to look at that same person in the eye. Go ahead and read the words first. Make sure you get it right. Empower others to do their job. Okay? You don't have to point in their face or anything, but look them in the eye. This is something you need to tell them. You need to do this. I'm going to look out the camera again. Ready? Empower others to do their job. It's not about us. It's not about us trying to get the spotlight on us or trying to do everything for us and trying to get applause. It's we do what God calls us to do and we empower others to do what he calls them to do. And when that happens, we actually have a chance of getting stuff done. This is what that innovation and collaboration and ownership idea is all about. I read at the very, very beginning. If you know what your gift is and you take responsibility to make sure that you and the other people with that gift get it done, that frees the leaders and everybody else up to do the stuff God called them to do. And they can maybe help you, those level threes in the middle especially, they can help you kind of refine your systems a little bit because that's what God made them to do. But everybody doing their job is what makes things happen amazingly well. That's what Paul is talking about, and I hope this is so familiar to you now. Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service. To equip his people for works of service. Those, for those five things... Um, are abbreviated. We'll talk about that in a second. Let's finish that. Please do. Let's finish this. So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. People have made a really cool uh, acronym out of those gifts. They substitute the word shepherd for pastor because that's what pastor means and also Apept doesn't sound as good as a pest. 
You've got the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. And we're in these last few moments here, I, I'd like you to listen. I think you're going to hear yourself in here somewhere. It, because there are some people that I think God actually makes, this is who they are. Their role, their primary role, for example, might be to be a prophet or an evangelist. But all of us play these roles, and I believe all of us in one way or another have some sort of a gifting in these areas. And if you hear this and you go, that is exactly me, then we really need you to help because these are the gifts that empower all the other gifts. Are you hearing me on this? These are the gifts that keep everybody else going. These are the level three, four, and five gifts that aren't any better or they're not, they're not any, there's no class here. It's just these are the ones that keep the other ones activated and help everybody get better together. And if any of this sounds like you, then let's own it. So I've kind of put it in a, in a little format here, kind of like Jeff Foxworthy. Remember his uh, redneck jokes? I love those. Like, if you ever mowed your grass and found a car, you might be a redneck. If you have matching serving bowls and they all say Cool Whip, you might be a redneck. I, I'm not going to do it all in that really lame imitation of Jeff Foxworthy, but you get the idea. You might be an apostle. You might be a prophet. You might be these things. I'm going to give you some ifs. And if this sounds like you, I'd like you to kind of maybe just kind of thumbs up or kind of do something. So you, you get, yeah, that's me. Okay. And then I need you to hear because there's some things, there's some warnings. Our greatest strengths and our greatest weaknesses are always tied together. So for each one of these, if this sounds like you, I'm going to give you a couple things. Please don't do this. And some things please do. We need you to do this. You ready? Okay. You might be an apostle. If you are always seeing new and better ways to do things, you're always thinking outside the box. You're always going, yeah, 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 yeah. But what if we did it like this? Anybody out there like that? Okay, good. You might be an apostle. If you love trying new things, if you love, uh, you're easily adapted to things. You, you, you love to travel for fun. Uh, there's a lot of ways you can see this that you might not think of yourself as being gifted that way. But these are the people that are designed by God to think outside the box and do crazy things that would be really uncomfortable to everybody else. If that's you, if you are an apostle, here's what I'm asking you. Please don't assume that all of your new ideas are from God. Some of them might be, but not all of them. And please don't assume that how it is is always wrong. It might be, and it might be you that's the one that's going to tell us that. But don't assume that just because you've got another idea that yours is automatically better. Here's what we do need you to do. When you, when you feel something percolating in your heart, pray about it. Seek God about it. Talk to some trusted friends about it. Maybe that is the key. Maybe the Holy Spirit himself is speaking through you, and you're the way we're going to get outside the box more than ever before. Pray about it. Try. Maybe that's you. We tracking so far? Okay. You might be a prophet. Here's some ways you could know that maybe you haven't thought of. If you just love anything that has to do with the truth, history, 
anything, but especially science, but especially the Bible. You're just drawn to know, well, what's the truth about it, though? And whenever somebody's talking or you're reading the Bible, you're also getting these other insights and additional ideas, and you're taking notes, and, and, and also, this is also true, and this is maybe even more true than what that person is saying right now. If sometimes you really feel like you're hearing from God, possibly even with real words, just he's speaking to you, you might be a prophet. Hopefully there's some people in the room that feel that. If, they, if this is true, again, here's some warnings. Please don't assume that every voice in your head is God's voice. It's not. It, please don't assume that nobody else but you hears from you, from him. Please don't assume that even if they disagree, that they certainly don't know Jesus like you know Jesus. We can all be wrong. But if this sounds like you, pursue it. Pray about it. There might, you, you might be the one that God is going to speak to that's going to be the megaphone that we all hear at the same time that's going to unlock something amazing. Pursue that gift. See if that's really it. You might be an evangelist. Some ways you might not have thought of to, to, to think of that gift is if you see, I almost did the Jeff Foxworthy thing accidentally. I mean, if you see, don't. If you see non-Christians at their worst, and by their worst, I mean they're intentionally disobeying God. They're shaking their fists or certain fingers at God. They're deliberate. You see that happening, and what you feel inside is not anger and and whatever else, but you feel compassion. You feel mercy. Your heart breaks for them. You might be an evangelist. If you love to share the truth, and every time you share the truth, you do it in love, You're, you might be one of those people that God is calling to reach them. The angry people aren't. He's not going to send the angry people. He's going to use them other ways, but he's not going to send them to talk to new people. He's going to send the people whose heart are breaking. So don't, don't just be okay with where they are too long. True love is going to rescue them just like Jesus. He, goes where, he came where we were in our sin and did something about it and invited us into something completely different. He changed the game. Don't settle for things just being how they are just because you love them. But at the same time, pray about it. Try. Reach out in love. Speak the truth in love. Offer hugs to people that nobody else even wants to touch. You might be the key to the whole thing. You might be the person that's going to help this. Is this making sense? Are we get there? Amen. We're almost done. There's two more, and then we're just going to wrap this up. You might be a shepherd. And if you are, there's a lot of ways to know. One you might not have thought of is this. When you see Christians at their worst... When you see Christians acting like anything but Jesus, and instead of anger and whatever else, you feel compassion and you feel mercy and you go, man, I, I think I could help them. I think I could help them escape that. You might be a shepherd. Don't make it all about you. Please don't do that. Don't try to be, I'm the shepherd. I did that. No, you didn't. God did it through you if it's really God at all. But if you're that person, you're there to help protect and to guide the rest of us. Wherever you are, whatever role you're playing, whoever is following you in any capacity, if you've got the shepherd gift, 
You're there to protect them and to guide them and help them get where they need to go. And without you playing that role, we're not going to get where we need to go. You might be a teacher. You might already know that. It might be your job. It might be your passion. But here's, here's one thing I know for sure about teachers. They love to learn. And they love to answer questions when people come. And they're, they're frustrated that other people don't want to learn as much as they want to learn. So let me warn you. Don't expect everybody else to care about it as much as you care about it. It's okay if they don't. However, you keep learning what you're learning. You keep sharing what you're sharing. And especially when people ask questions, be ready. And you, if you're a teacher, God's going to usually use you to teach. Teachers are trainers. They're people that empower other people to do other things. Simon Sinek says that leadership is a choice, not a rank. Leadership is a choice, not a rank. Let's remember that. That's not just Simon Sinek. I think it's biblical. And here's what I believe God is saying to every single one of us this morning. It's what he said to Joshua after Moses wasn't the leader anymore. Instead, now Joshua was. He says, be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. You see all the pieces in that? He's not saying, hey, Joshua, be a great leader. Enjoy being at the top of the pile, big boy. You earned it. Yeah, exercise that authority. People have to submit to you now. That's not what he said. He says, I had this plan. You're going to be the one who leads them to do the plan. So be strong and courageous because I'm with you and they're behind you. That's a completely different model of leadership. But that is God's leadership model. That's what he's calling us to do more than ever, ever before. This morning, I simply ask you that as the worship leaders come to play another song and we all sing to God, I'm asking you to take a step in the direction of God. I'm going to be at the back again. If you want to talk, if you need to pray, you can come forward to pray or back to pray or wherever you want to go. Stay where you're at. But if you want to talk to me, come to the back. We'll work on that. If you've got a decision God is calling you to make this morning, we want to give you a spot to do that. And we want to give every person a chance to worship God one more time and to make a, chance, a choice in his direction. Let's do that together as we stand and as we sing.